0: Welcome to RBG Beyond Notorious. This is the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the CNN film RBG and explores the life of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I'm Poppy Harlow, and I'm joined by CNN's chief legal analyst Jeffrey Tubin. And in our last episode, we talked about RBG's first decade on the court. But even before she made it to the Supreme Court, she developed an unlikely friendship with a rising star conservative named Antonin Scalia, a colleague with whom she later would serve on the bench. A very special conversation with his son, Eugene Scalia, is ahead. But first, a very special conversation with Jeffrey Toobin.
1: Hi, Poppy. Who is
0: here as always. You know, she said about Justice Scalia, I loved Nino. But I could have strangled him. Well, I mean, that
1: was the remarkable thing about their, their friendship, as Gene will uh, no doubt tell us, because he, he saw it firsthand, is that they did disagree about so much about what the Constitution means and the, and the results in individual mm-hmm. cases. But they were close friends and their families uh, were and are close friends. And that kind of friendship. Um, it was never all that common in Washington, but especially now um, oh. is um, is very rare and, and is something that when people talk about both Justice Scalia and Justice Ginsburg, their friendship is something that comes up all the time.
0: And this is during their friendship begins before she's on the Supreme Court. Their friendship begins when she goes from being uh, the sort of firebrand attorney arguing gender discrimination cases you know, six of them, six cases in front of the Supreme Court, um, and and she is nominated to serve on the D.C. Court of Appeals. Talk to me about that, and and also sort of President Carter's role in view in all of this. Right.
1: Well, you know, before President Carter, uh, the number of uh, women judges, mm-hmm. the number of African American judges, was really tiny, uh, federal judges, and uh, Carter made a special effort to uh, to 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 promote diversity on the bench. Um, but um, RBG was not his first appointment. And one of the amazing things about her appointment is that she was nominated to the, Supreme, to the D.C. Circuit, which is generally considered the second most important court in the country. Mm-hmm. You know, of all the circuit courts, the 13 Circuit courts, it's the, it's the one in D.C. gets the most important cases, second only to the Supreme Court. Um, she was nominated in April, of 1980, mm-hmm. the Republicans could have stalled and not filled the seat, but she was confirmed in June. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, it's indicative of how the, 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 the things were less contentious yeah. uh, in those days. But in any event, she was nominated, she was confirmed, and uh, relatively recently, uh, and 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 she was there um, when uh, just a couple of years later, the new president Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm appointed Antonin Scalia to be her colleague.
0: And in that role, as she sat on these three judge panels, she was seen as a consensus builder, more so certainly than on the Supreme Court.
1: Right. And one of the interesting things about Justice Ginsburg's career is how how and why she got more liberal when she was appointed to the Supreme Court. Because uh, one of the reasons there was some opposition to President Clinton nominating her Mm -hmm. to the Supreme Court Uh, In 1993, from from more liberal members of the Democratic Party was like, wait a second. She spent all these years on the D.C. Circuit voting with Antonin Scalia and Robert Bork. Why do we want to appoint her? And (laughs) and, you know, that was a legitimate question. If you were a liberal Democrat, what has turned out is that she did become more liberal as as a Supreme Court justice.
0: She I, I recall her her talking about her confirmation Uh, process and saying, no one even asked me about, you know, working for the ACLU, for example, and how that would have been seen as so liberal, uh, you know, or or a big a big point of contention today. Here's another part of what she said during her confirmation hearings, where, again, she was confirmed 96 to 3.
2: My approach, I believe, is neither liberal nor conservative. Rather, it is rooted in the place of the judiciary of judges in our democratic society so
1: yeah well I, you know they all say stuff like this in their confirmation hearings and you know what her approach is liberal and it has been liberal and you know i i you know that, that i just think uh, we ought to have truth in advertising, you but, you know, in order to get confirmed, they all say, you know, John Roberts famously said he's just an umpire calling balls and strikes, to which I say he's much more like the commissioner of baseball. Mm. But, you know, they yeah. all try to minimize the political nature. Of
0: so that. let's talk then about the conservative justice that she became such good friends with and uh, was in complete opposition to on their, uh, you know, view uh, of so much that came before them on the high court. And that is Antonin Scalia. With us now is one of Justice Scalia's nine children, Eugene Scalia. He's a lawyer who has served in various posts in the U.S. Department of Labor and the Office of the U.S. Attorney General. Thank you for being here.
3: Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: So why do you think. Ruth Bader Ginsburg and your dad got along so well.
3: Well, uh, you know, to start, they had a lot in common. Uh, they uh, were uh, both born, grew up in the New York area. Uh, they uh, went into the same line of work, right? You know, they're both <laughs> lawyers. ended up uh, uh, judges together uh, twice, two different courts. Um, and I think it's well known now. They shared some interests outside of work as well, particularly music and especially opera. Um, and I think they both enjoyed traveling, too. So uh, they, they were two people who maybe, uh, despite um, some initial appearances, just had a lot in common to begin with. And, um, uh, and, and I think beyond that, my father certainly respected uh, her intellect, uh, her lawyering. And, um, and I think he respected the achievements that, um, that you've been talking about. Uh, which uh, she had had uh, even before becoming a judge, so uh, they had a lot in common. Um, uh, she's uh, you know a formidable, impressive person. Um, uh, he, he my father uh, certainly recognized and appreciated that, and you know, and then they just kind of hit it off. Uh, why Why did two people become uh, fast friends it's it's not always entirely clear. Um, people just click, they clicked
1: did, did um, you uh, you were pretty young by the time when they um, first, worked together on the DC Circuit. Um, did you see them together ever? Sadly, I wasn't that young at that point. Um, <laughs> yes, you were. You <laughs> know, uh, <laughs>
3: um, yes. You know, uh, they uh, and their spouses, uh, my mother and uh, Marty Ginsburg, uh, the Just- Justice Ginsburg's husband, uh, had a tradition—a a New Year's Eve dinner tradition going back to their time in the D.C. Circuit together. I know I joined them for the first time. It would have been um, uh, about New Year's 1988. Uh, I joined them for dinner, and uh, my wife, Trish, and I uh, often uh, joined them at the Ginsburgs Watergate apartment uh, over the years. And um, it was just a wonderful evening. Um, It was two couples who were all fast friends, and uh, it was uh, fun to be with them, and it was heartening to me to see uh, my father uh, with a colleague. He
1: obviously uh, had so much fun being around and speaking with. Now, wasn't another secret to the New Year's Eve uh, tradition? You know, Marty Ginsburg was a famously accomplished uh, chef. I mean, he, he loved to cook, and he cooked very elaborate, complicated meals. And, and I don't think it's inaccurate to say uh, your father loved to eat. Uh, so, isn't is, wasn't that also part of the part of the connection between the two couples? Um, uh, I think both things are
3: true. I think uh, uh, I think probably all of them love to eat. Marty Ginsburg was just a wonderful cook. There's, I think, a, uh, a Supreme Court. Uh, uh, there's a the Supreme Court bookstore sells a uh, a book still of his uh, his favorite recipes. And um, and you know uh, the other thing my dad liked to do was hunt. And so, in the later years, uh, Marty would do the cooking, but my father would often provide the uh, the meat. Um, really? You know, one year it might have been uh, quail, another year... Venison. Um, uh,
1: venison, exactly. Mm.
0: Wow, you that's know...
1: Sad. That's symbiotic. Wow.
0: <laughs> so, Justice Ginsburg, uh, after your father passed, called the court a paler place without him. And she loved his sense of humor. And he had a good one. I mean, you know, you talk about the love of travel. They apparently rode on an elephant together in India.
1: That, th- that's, that's in the documentary. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's video of that in the documentary.
0: So stay tuned for that. Yeah. And Scalia jokes yeah, it's, that... Uh, <laughs> it's a great photograph of them together. <laughs> your, your father jokes that, that some of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's feminist friends gave her a hard time, even for that, because she rode behind him on the elephant.
3: That's right. And I gather her explanation is, no, that it was a matter of uh, weight distribution. And (laughs) if weight distribution matters, there was a big delta between the two of them.
1: Yeah. Um, what, What about the politics, though, differences? I mean, you know, these were two people who were at the absolute top of their profession and, you know, very much associated with not just different results in cases, but different ways of approaching the Constitution, um, would they interact about that or did they simply just not have that conversation socially uh, or was it something or is it something that they just sort of all left at work?
3: Um, they, they would
1: talk about the law. And Jeff,
3: as you know, even justices that are known for uh, their disagreements are actually in agreement more often than not. Um, and I think in their case, additionally, uh, Justice Ginsburg uh, was uh, not just a, um, a firebrand advocate before uh, going to the D.C. Circuit. She'd been a professor, as my father had been, and, and she'd been a professor of civil procedure, which is the, just the rules of court. It, it, it's a kind of a dry area, but it's, it's something that a lawyer's lawyer Uh, engages with. And so they really did have a shared interest in the law. They might uh, arrive at different places uh, in any given case, but it was still uh, something that uh, in uh, many cases they approached in a similar way, enjoyed talking about.
0: So they had one really fascinating interview together at George Washington University, Um, and she's sitting there on stage beside him. Listen... Listen to this uh, exchange. Listen to your father here talking about her.
3: Besides what, she's a, a very nice person. She likes opera. You know, what's not to like? <laughs> Except her views of the law, of
0: course. <laughs> <laughs> he would uh, not shy away from, um, you know, going into her chamber or her going into his chamber and, and disagreeing with, you know, the way you wrote this or what you argue here. I mean, they did have those uh, sort of more tough exchanges, though, at the office, if you will, at the court.
3: They did. And, um, you know, uh, my father would seldom shy away from disagreeing, right? <laughs> um, and but, but nor would she. They were both uh, uh, thoughtful, forceful people. And um, but saw part of their job as lawyers and judges to you know, share those views, frankly, but not to make it personal. Uh, I think they recognized that they couldn't afford to do that. And uh, you know, my father, for his part, um, really enjoyed uh, a good argument. Um, in fact, if you couldn't give him a good argument, he might think less of you. Um, so I, I think, you know, their differences in some ways deepen their friendship. Mm-hmm. He learned from her. And um, and if nothing else, I know that he felt his ideas got uh, honed and sharpened by hearing how she, who you know somebody who would approach some issues differently, hearing how she would react. So that was a you know a, 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 it wasn't they weren't friends despite it; they were friends in part because of it. I think.
1: Yeah, but but there was this level of courtesy. I mean, we we, we talked earlier about the the VMI case, uh, which is sort of Justice Ginsburg's probably most important uh, majority opinion. From which Justice Scalia dissented, but uh, my my understanding is, you know, the 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 court the circ all, all the opinions are always circulated among all the justices. But Justice Scalia went out of his way to give uh, RBG right the, his dissent a little early, so she could have all the time she needed to respond to it. Uh, which which I thought was just a, such a wonderful example of kind of uh, of. Of civility, but obviously Justice Scalia not sacrificing any of his beliefs either.
3: I uh, I, again, I think he um, just had a lot of respect for her as a as as a lawyer and judge, and and, and they were friends. And um, so, where there were disagreements, I think he um, uh, didn't personalize it. And I know she tells a story too of. His commenting on, uh, on her majority opinion and pointing out, for example, that she had misidentified my alma mater, the University of Virginia. And he, yeah. uh, that was at least one correction on her uh, majority opinion in that case that she was willing to accept from him.
0: I think, I think he said something like there was only, there's only one or something like that. <laughs> That's
3: right. Yeah. She referred to it, I think, in a draft, she says, as the University of Virginia at Charlottesville.
0: Right, right, uh, right. right, right, right. Um, he, let's listen to part of what she said at your father's funeral
2: once asked how we could be friends, given our disagreement on lots of things. Justice Scalia answered, I attack ideas. I don't attack people. Some very good people have some very bad ideas. <laughs> and if you can't separate the two, you've got to get another day job. I think
0: almost everyone in Washington in Congress and the White House should... Be listening to that, right? I mean, has that is that a civility that Washington needs to learn from these days? The friendship between your father and Ruth Bader Ginsburg.
3: Um, no, no doubt. I mean, I think um, whenever you have two such uh, important, accomplished people and who have a rich friend, friendship like that, there's there's something to be learned from it. Um, I, I think anytime, any place, and right now in Washington, sure. I think that. Um, uh, the, the, their ability to engage on ideas and uh, and yet respect one another's abilities and, and maintain a friendship is it, it is a, an instructive lesson, and I think they would both heartily agree that um, we, we want to have people on um, two sides of an issue to uh, to uh, explore what the right answer is. Uh, we, we do better through that kind of debate, and if you want that, then um, you shouldn't want. Um, deep divisions to arise simply from the fact that people look at uh,
1: legal or policy matters differently. It's really it was very kind of you to share some time with us,
0: Gene. Thank you. Oh uh, well, that's kind of you. Thank, thank you, you very so much. much. Yep. Goodbye. We we should note that um, back in two thousand thirteen, Jeff, a composer named Derek Wang wrote a, a one act comic opera because they loved opera, right? Inspired by Justice Glee and Justice Ginsburg's. Unlikely Friendship. Um, A rendition of this was performed at the Supreme Court in 2013. And RBG talked about it when when I sat down with her. I know know she's told you about it, and she she likes talking about it. Here's what she said in February.
2: There's a character, the commentator, who is administering the tests, and he is puzzled. He said, why would you want to help him? He's your enemy. And I explain, he's not my enemy. He's my dear friend. And then we sing a duet. (laughs) Uh, The duet is we are different. We are one. Different in our approach to the interpretation of legal texts. One in our reverence for the Constitution and for the institution. We serve.
0: Has there been Jeffrey or is there now any friendship like this on the Supreme Court?
1: No. um, You know, William Rehnquist, who was chief justice for a long time, kind of established the social codes that that still prevail at the Supreme Court, which is that good fences make good neighbors. I mean, he knew how passionately they would disagree about cases. So his view was, let's just keep the personal interaction to a minimum. And and one of the things, the cliches about the court, which I think is pretty accurate, is that it's like nine separate law firms, that they really don't interact with each other that much. And, and Rehnquist thought, and I don't know if he was wrong, that by letting all these strong personalities with strong views be independent, mm-hmm. you would lessen the friction that if you look back at the history of the Supreme Court, was often terrible and poisonous. So... Currently, the relationships are much more polite, deferential, friendly, but there are not a lot of friendships Mm. on the course.
0: So we heard what she said about Justice Scalia at his funeral. What would he have said about her? You know, I think very much the
1: same thing. I mean, you know, neither one of them. Um, gave any quarter in terms of how much they disagreed, but you know, as as we heard from Jean, and as all the evidence we've seen indicates, they just liked each other. I mean, you know, they were you know New Yorkers of the same generation mm-hmm. with uh, similar education, similar professional backgrounds, and and as Jean said, they clicked, and their and their families clicked, and um, more power to them. And
0: Marty cooked for both of
1: them. And Marty's (laughs) Marty's cooking was a good solvent.
0: There you go. Well, thank you for joining us on this 80s episode of RBG Beyond Notorious. In the next episode, we are going to talk about her as a lawyer before she sat on the bench when she was, in her words, a flaming feminist litigator.
2: She had the theory that that injustices or, or or the special privileges that women had hurt everybody.
0: Her story continues next. Don't forget to watch the CNN film RBG this fall.
3: Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together.